Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to Bible Prophecy Land today with Jonathan Brentner. We're going to be talking about the Third Jewish Temple. What's this news about red heifers, and what does that have to do with prophecy? We're going to dive into that, talk about the Antichrist and uh, future events. Also, um, Thursday, wait a minute, what's today? Tuesday, yeah. Thursday, we're going to be talking about something that a lot of people don't understand. The influence and um, really immorality that has been unleashed since the 1940s through a man named Alfred Kinsey. A lot of you have no idea who that is, and that's on purpose. The media sugarcoats his perverted legacy. But Indiana University erected a statue, life-size statue, bronze um, statue honoring Alfred Kinsey. We're going to talk about why they did that, what the Kinsey Institute is, and that caused me to write an article for this week. And we'll talk about it on Thursday. Academia, Hollywood, liberal media, whitewash, Kinsey, child abuse. We'll talk about that in detail Thursday. Also, which churches allow female pastors? Uh, We'll talk about that. That's a new survey that just came out. NPR, National Progressive Radio, promotes starting sex education as young as kindergarten. That's what it says. Um, also, <laughs> Gavin Newsom now is jumping on the calling evil good bandwagon, along with Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and others. And Newsom quotes Jesus to advertise abortion. We're not making this up. And Banned Books Week is going on. Uh, actually, does it start? Yes. It started the 18th. This is Banned Books Week. You don't know what that is. It sounds... Like, wow, what books are they banning? So are they good books? And by the way, friends, if, if you have children in, in public schools, check your school library for some of this garbage that is indoctrinating young minds. It's available, readily available. Some of it you would consider pornographic. Our grandparents and great-grandparents certainly would consider it pornographic. What is in almost every school library in the country but I won't say everyone because I have not been to everyone. So let's bring in our guest today now, Bible Prophecy Time. See, that only took two minutes. <laughs> Jonathan Brentner is back with us. He's a contributor at Harbinger's Daily, a phenomenal website, by the way. Big supporters of Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Shout out to Harbinger's. Um, he's a Christian author, speaker, writer, former pastor, and he writes for his weekly blog, Our Journey Home. It provides sound biblical understanding and commentary on prophecy, world events. And his latest book, which we talked about last time, I think he was on the podcast with us, is it's a great book. It's called The Triumph of the Redeemed, an eternal perspective that calms our fears in perilous times. It's a great book to read in times like this when things are going crazy around us in our culture 
and around the world. We're, we are in the last days, and things are getting close, friends. Well, I want to welcome back Jonathan Brentner. How you doing, brother? I'm doing quite well. Thanks so much for having me on your show again. I oh. really appreciate it. Well, we love your writing. I appreciate your voice, and I'm so glad Harbinger's Daily uh, picked up your articles. So what yeah. a blessing they have been to this mm-hmm. podcast, to me personally, and I know to you. So what we're going to talk about, Jonathan, is the biblical necessity of a third Jewish temple, uh, mm-hmm. but and how that relates to Bible prophecy. Before we do that, though, any updates on your ministry? I know you've been writing frequently. Anything else since the last time we have had you on? Uh, no, the Lord just continues to bless on my ministry. My newsletter goes out to more and more people, for which I am very, very grateful. And I, I guess I can talk about this. I, I wrote a book called, it's, I made it available, it's called The Bad Guys of the Bible. And I had self-published it, but then Defender Publisher um, Publishing, who also um, published my um, Triumph of the Redeemed book, they have agreed to publish it. So that'll be coming out um, next spring sometime. And so I'm looking forward to that book. It's a little bit different than the prophetic angle, but right. it does stress the need for a two-world perspective, mm-hmm. that of viewing this life as temporary and looking forward to what is eternal and the life to come for us as believers. So, Jonathan, people can sign up for your newsletter. I see it right on the front page of your your website if they scroll down a little bit uh, to Mm -hmm. the bottom. Newsletter, sign up at jonathanbrentner.com. Brother, uh, Israel 365 News website said, Israel is upgrading its already impressive international airport. The government is also working on a railway um, infrastructure that will bring international travelers directly from the airport to the Temple Mount. This will enable 70 nations to come to worship God in Jerusalem's house of prayer, a vision that the government there has already hinted is their true intention. So let's talk about that and talk about the breaking news, I believe, last week, where I believe five red heifers from Texas. So who said America's not in end times Bible prophecy? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm kidding. But from yeah. Texas, so they've got five red heifers. First of all, what's the significance of red heifers, and what does that have to do with the third Jewish temple? Okay, the red heifers are necessary for purification, not only of the temple and its furnishings, but also of the priests and and maybe for everyone who goes into it. And the Temple Institute, who broke the news about these five heifers, um, had an update yesterday, and I'll just read a couple of paragraphs from their update. It says, the five heifers are are each just under one year old, providing that they maintain their 100% red coats, two non-red hairs, can disqualify them and stay injury-free, and they will be eligible to be slaughtered and rendered into the long-for ashes of the red heifer, which can be used to obtain the highest level of Torah purity, uh, a must for priests to work in the Holy Temple. Mm. And it says, according to the Mishnah, the heifer can be slaughtered and rendered into ashes no earlier than its third year which, according to one opinion, begins 
it begins when it is two years and one day, and according to another opinion, it must be two years and one month old. And so it's very significant that they have, they have these five red heifers, and they're necessary for all the purification that's going to take place in the temple, not only for the temple and its furnishings itself, but for the priests and possibly for everyone that goes into the temple. Wow, fascinating. So we're talking about um, Israel upgrading their infrastructure to make mm-hmm. it easier for people to get straight to the Temple Mount. We're talking about young red heifers that were shipped from Texas to Israel to the right in the flew right into the airport there, and yeah. they all, as you say in your article. They all point to the fulfillment of biblical prophecies concerning the construction of the third temple. So I think before we go on, and we're going to talk about Daniel's prophecy regarding the desecration of a future temple in Daniel chapter 9, we have to talk about what happened to the first temple and the second temple, just for those who maybe are younger in the faith or don't understand the progression of the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, well, the first temple was destroyed by uh, by Nebuchadnezzar um, when he and Babylon came against Judah and, and destroyed it. And, of course, that temple was, was erected by Solomon, and that temple stood for, for centuries until Nebuchadnezzar came and, and judged the people according to, to Jeremiah's prophecy. And Jeremiah was even alive at the time that this happened. And then is the... Um, as the refugees are the the ones who were deported to Babylon, as they came back to Jerusalem, eventually they rebuilt the temple. So this was the second temple, and Herod the Great um, greatly um, increased the scope and the magnitude of the second temple and, and built it up to what it was in Jesus' day. And then in 70 A.D., um, Titus, who was a Roman general, mm-hmm. came against um, Jerusalem and Israel, and he destroyed the Second Temple in, about, in 70 A.D., as I said, and pretty much destroyed much of Jerusalem, leaving mm-hmm. it, you know, and that sent the Jews fleeing from there, and there was great persecution, and, yes. and many, many Jews lost their lives in this opposition to their faith. And since 70 A.D., the Jews have not had a temple, and so that's what makes it so very significant. So not only after 2,000 years has Israel miraculously become a country again, now they're even talking about a temple, mm-hmm. and it's very curious that the government itself is planning infrastructure for this temple, even though they don't have any rights to build it yet on the Temple Mount. So that's very curious. Maybe they know something we don't. Yeah, I'm not sure of that. That's interesting. Well, I want to go back to Matthew 24 because you just explained the Roman uh, general Titus, or the is mm-hmm. it, was it the emperor or a Roman general? Well, he was a Roman general. He became an emperor later. Okay, okay. And I forget what his name was as emperor, but he did become an emperor. Okay, so it's Matthew 24. Jesus left the temple area, was going on his way, when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And another, stop right there, another gospel talks about how they're marveling at mm-hmm. the buildings. And verse 2 says, But he responded and said to them, 
Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Mm -hmm. So he predicted what happened approximately 35 to 45 years later that the Mm -hmm. temple building would be destroyed, torn down, not one stone left on another. And he was sitting there, and they said to him, they come up to him, tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? The first thing out of his mouth in verse 4, he said, see to it that no one misleads you. Another one says, do not be deceived, for many will come in my name. Then he goes on in Matthew 24, friends, if you haven't read that in a long time, go back and reread it. So let's let's take it right there. Now, we talked about the the temples now. We're back to uh, the construction, the preparation of the third temple or the the finishings of it. Um, Daniel 9, uh, where would you like to go? Do you want to go to uh, just explain Daniel's prophecy regarding the future uh, desecration of the temple? Yeah, sure, I can do that. And anyways, um, Daniel nine twenty four to twenty seven, um, the prophet describes seventy um, weeks, and they're actually seventy weeks of years. And these years are prophetic in in their length, according to how the Jews rendered years back then. So they're three hundred and sixty days um, for, per year, and so they're seventy weeks. Um, so 70 periods of seven years. Hmm. And we know that 69 of these have, have already been fulfilled, and they led right up to the cutting off of the Messiah. Um, and obviously that was, was Jesus. And, and there have been those who have figured out the exact, the exact time period in those, in those years. And I don't have that in front of me. And I, and I really, I can't remember it all, but it's very significant. Let me let me turn to Daniel seven, and so I can read the passage there. To Daniel nine, I mean. Yep. You know, and it says, you know, it's a seventy weeks. These are seventy weeks of years. I decreed about your people, that's Israel, in your holy city, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and atone for iniquity. So those things have already been completed. And then the last part is to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint the most holy place. And then it describes the the first 69 weeks. They know, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be be built again with squares in moat, but in troubled times. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one, that's Jesus, shall be cut off and have nothing. And so it talks about there the crucifixion, and mm-hmm. all Jesus is, is cut off really from, from the history of Israel right now, even though he's sovereignly in control of what's going on, of course. Mm-hmm. And then it says... <clears throat> And, and the people of the prince who is to come, that is the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Well, that happened in 70 A.D. It then shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war and desolations are decreed. And then in verse 27, it says, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And so this would be the 70th week, and for 
half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. And so there we have, you know, the full scape, the full scope, I'm sorry, the full scope of what God has in mind for the people of Israel. And that last part to bring in everlasting righteousness happens when Jesus comes back after the 70th week and Israel, those, the remnant of Israel that is left repents and turns to the Lord and then the millennial kingdom begins. Wow. Wow. Um, I'm looking at the New American Standard and when you, you were reading, are you reading New King James? I was reading the um, English Standard Version, which is very similar to the New King James. It really is. Okay, it says the Anointed One, and uh, New American Standard says Messiah. Messiah will be cut off, so there, it, yeah. it leaves no, uh, at least a couple versions, uh, Messiah. We know that's Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. uh, the Anointed One. Messiah mentions that two or three times there in that passage from between Daniel 9.24 and the end of that chapter. So you mentioned in your article... you. Mention uh, Daniel twelve eleven, which also refers to this time when regular burnt offering is taken away. So let's clarify something, Jonathan, that right mm-hmm. now there are no sacrifices. There are no burnt offerings in the temple no. in Israel. Can you explain why? And, and we know they stopped right at one point. Well, you know, what happened and why didn't they pick them up again? Um, I think it's because they did not have a temple. They went to synagogue worship, and that has been the that has been the key. Actually, it was started before. It was you know there were synagogues actually in Jesus' time, dating back, I believe, to the time of Ezra. But that became the full thing because there was no temple, there was no red heifer sacrifice, there was nothing for them to do that. And it's very curious, you know. You might look at that that prophecy and say, well, is it really going to happen that the Jews will be able to have burnt sacrifices again? Hmm. But one of the curious things about this train that Israel is is sitting up is that there's going to be a provision for religious Jews to, to have their sacrifices, their animal and vegetable sacrifices on that train. In the article in Israel 365 News even mentions that. So it's just so amazing that, that even the government of Israel recognizes there will be burnt sacrifices again, exactly as what Daniel 12.11 says will be cut off during the tribulation. Wait, wait a minute. So let's clarify something here. The Israeli government uh, envisions religious Jews with vegetable and animal sacrifices riding the train to the temple? I'm, I, don't yeah. under, I don't understand that. I thought you could only sacrifice in the temple. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about sacrifices in the temple. They, they'll bring them on the train to the temple, oh, to the future temple. Okay. I'm sorry, I may have, may have misspoke there. Okay, no, you probably didn't. It was probably my ears and the interpretation on my end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, Jonathan, we've just got a minute left, and before we get into a, another section of this, um, I don't, I don't want to ask another question and have you be cut off, but I just want to go back to your article. And by the way, the article, friends, is at harbingersdaily.com. 
the biblical necessity of a third Jewish temple. That's our topic today. The nation of Israel is not only preparing to get travelers from the Ben-Gurion airport to the future temple, it's making provisions to get the sacrifices there as well. That makes, I now understand that, they'll put the vegetable and animal sacrifices on the train, get transport them to the temple. And let's talk when we come back with Jonathan Brentner about the fact that Jesus placed the temple desecration in the future. This is important prophetically. A lot more when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Jonathan Brentner is our guest today. He's really, he, he just brings out some of these insights and explains them in a way even I can understand it. And uh, if you want to get more information on him, his website, jonathanbrentner.com. Also, a lot of you guys have been going to Harbingers Daily. I can't recommend that site enough. Um, so let's go to Matthew 24. And in his article over at Harbingers, Jonathan uh, quoted verse 15, and we'll We'll get into this, and we'll we'll talk about a man named Antiochus Epiphanes, Epiphanes, yes, I think I said it right, the first time, almost four centuries after the prophet Daniel. And verse 15 in Matthew 24 says, Therefore, now Jesus is speaking through this and describing what's going to happen. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, Standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. So stop right there. Jonathan, kind of un- unpack that for us a little bit. Okay, well, you know, for those who might think that that Daniel's prophecy had already been fulfilled by that person of Antiochus Epiphanes, that's a hard name to pronounce, anyways, he did um, set up an idol in the temple. They believe it was to to Zeus, and he yes. did sacrifice pigs on the altar, which was an abomination at yep. the time. However, you know, that happened in at least 170 B.C., before the time of Christ. And so when you get to, to Matthew 24, we see that it's still a future thing, because Jesus is saying that, no, that prophecy has not been fulfilled. It'll be fulfilled um, in the end times. And it's in a passage that that leads right to the second coming. You start in 2415, and he describes these end-time events, this great tribulation, and then you get to verse 29, which says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and so forth, and and the people of the earth will see Jesus coming, returning Mm. in all his glory. Praise God. Um, That that just gave me a little vision right there. We We can hardly imagine... You know what that will be like. I mean, it's just the description of of world circumstance, world situation. Like the sun will be darkened. Now, the only time that's ha- of course at night, right? But the only time that happened was when Jesus was on the cross for three hours, and then the moon will not give its light. So you're talking about not just dark, but just black darkness, just just nothing. And it says the stars will fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and the sign of the Son of Man will appear, and the earth will mourn. And then that's when it sets up Jesus returning on the clouds. And it says with power and great glory. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, Jonathan, let's continue now. So that we hopefully made the point that Jesus is talking still about a future desecration of the temple. Mm-hmm. And um, you mentioned, you know, we're Matthew 24. And he also predicted, as you point out in your article, that it would lead to severe persecution of the Jews during a time mm-hmm. of great tribulation. Um, so, and then you talk about the Roman general Titus. So maybe we can go over that a little bit more if you want. You mentioned that. Uh, whatever you'd like to do next as we progress through these points. Okay. Um, the reason I mentioned Titus is I know that there are a lot of, of pastors today who are um, more amillennial in, and don't believe in a future restoration of Israel. They most likely will tell you that, that the Roman general named Titus and that he fulfilled Jesus' prophecy, that he, in other words, Jesus said, talked about this abomination, and they'll say, well, Titus fulfilled it. But the problem with that is a key detail that that the Apostle Paul, you know, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, adds to the fulfillment of Daniel 9.27 and also Matthew 24.15, because he says that, that the Lord himself, at his second coming, is going to destroy the desolator. And so we know two things. We know that the Lord didn't destroy Titus with his coming, you know, not when he was a general or when he was the emperor. And the second hap- the second coming did not happen during that time. And so because of what Paul adds by the Holy Spirit, we know that the fulfillment of Daniel 9.27 in Matthew 24.15 that has not yet happened, and that's the big point I try to make in my article. So, Jonathan, uh, there's another word there, and this comes down not to interpretation, but just different words describing who who this is. Uh, explain the desolator. Okay. Um, well, that... Uh, prophecy in Daniel 12:11 refers to the one who makes desolate, mm-hmm. and it also refers to it's referring to the one who stops the sacrifice, which we know whom we know is the Antichrist, and so he's the one that sets up the abomination of desecration. He's the desolator. He's the one that's going to to come and eventually sit in the temple. So yes. Okay, so now I think we're we're going in progression of of how you laid it out nicely. Thank you in your article to Second mm-hmm. Thessalonians chapter two, Second Thessalonians two verses three and four. And here, there's that warning again: Let no man deceive you by any means. Mm-hmm. Paul writes, for that day, that day shall not come. So let's make sure that Paul's warning now except there first come a falling away, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is an amazing thing to think about that this is still yet to happen. Explain that or break that down in Second Thessalonians 2. Okay, this is what's going to happen along with the desecration of the temple, <clears throat> in that this Antichrist who is to come, and some versions call him the man of lawlessness, he's going to come and he's going to, to be a blasphemer, is 
Daniel describes him, and and here we see in Paul, and he's going to, you know, to take a seat in the temple, you know, and this also describes some in Revelation 13. He's just going to be someone who is just going to be the ultimate blasphemer. And we already see some of this in a guy named Yuval Narari, who, <clears throat> who is a who is the, the chief counselor to Klaus Schwab, and the things that are coming out of his mouth yes. are, are so blasphemous, it's just incredible. And so when you think of this Antichrist, you can think of him spewing forth things that that resolve this this guy, this Narari, who, who is just saying such blasphemous things right now, yeah. even before the tribulation has even begun. Yeah, we um, we talked about that in detail earlier this year with John Haller, and mm-hmm. we literally just played his audio clips and his video quotes right, right from his own mouth, Yuval Noah Harari, and he was blaspheming. He was saying the the resurrection and Jesus being the Son of God is fake news. He was the one that said humans are just hackable animals. Mm-hmm. He's predicting a time. You know, he wants a time to come to pass when we are going to all take a uh, have a chip in us. And we're not talking about the mark of the beast necessarily. We're just he's just saying, hey, you can put you know microchips in people and and in their brains. And you know, he's a pro transhumanist. So, yeah, he's, he's evil, and a lot of people have said, "Is this guy, could he be the Antichrist? But that's for another time. We'll speculate yeah. that another day. Uh-huh. I want to get to a little bit of good news in the midst of this as we're understanding future events in Bible prophecy. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 8 says, Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will eliminate with the breath of his mouth, and bring to an end by the appearance of his return. Now, you used the King James Version in your article, Jonathan, so well, I use, go ahead and I share. I typically use the ESV, but I know that when Harbingers takes over, they, they change things to the King James, so that's how come <laughs> you see that. Picky, picky, right? No, I'm kidding. No, so, but yeah, it, it's interesting. There's some slightly different words. It says the, and, and then the wicked shall be revealed. One translation says the lawless one. Another says the wicked will be revealed. Whom the Lord shall, this one says eliminate. And I think yours says consume the kill. King James Version. Yeah, kill with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And the New American Standard says, will bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. So we know, we understand that to be the return of the Lord Jesus. I like how the King James kind of uh, puts out there that there is, that's going to be a very bright time physically and spir- yeah. spiritually, right? Mm-hmm. So go ahead and, and just continue uh, in this explanation, Jonathan. Okay. <clears throat> and so what I point out there is because Paul and the Holy Spirit You know, he says that it could not have been Titus because it's still future and it's someone that the Lord Jesus will destroy at his second coming. And then in my article, I move into into the book of Revelation, and I talk about Revelation 13.6, which talks about the Antichrist who utters blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name in his dwelling. And, of course, that could be the the temple on earth that the Jews will believe is God's dwelling. 
you know, and so he's the one that Jesus referred to. And then you get uh, Revelation 19, 19 to 20, and the Apostle John gives us uh, an eyewitness of the future destruction of this future beast, you know, and, and it says in John saying, I saw the beast and the king kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, that's the Antichrist, the one, the lawless one, and with it the false prophet who in his presence had done signs by which he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast mm -hmm. and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Mm -hmm. And so there you have the fulfillment of what Paul talked about in Second Thessalonians two eight. So let's let's clarify that Jesus revealed this in a vision to the apostle John, so he could yeah. write it down yeah, and yeah. warn people, but also describe what he saw that Jesus showed him was going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, there's something I wanted to ask you about that in Revelation 19. Oh, so to clarify another point, that the beast and the false prophet are two different people. Yes, from from my understanding, yes, they'll mm -hmm. be two different people, kind, kind of like you have Satan and, and the um, Antichrist and the false prophet are sort of like... Satan's trinity, if you will. Okay, got it. So Jesus himself will destroy them. And now you bring up another point, which is very interesting, um, the witness of Irenaeus. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that and why that matters. He was in, in the early centuries after Christ's resurrection in the early church. Um, and just, yeah, just lay that out for us. Explain why you decided to put his, a quote by him in your article. Okay, Irenaeus was a highly respected theologian, or still to this day, um, and he lived um, in the second century from A.D. 130 to 202. And so, you know, and I think it's he's significant because he grew up in the church at Smyrna, and he was discipled early on by a guy named Polycarp, and Polycarp was one of the chief um, disciples of the Apostle John, and, yes. and there are people who believe that the Apostle John, um, you know, placed Polycarp in his position as sort of the head bishop in of Smyrna. So this guy who grows up in Smyrna, the church that um, one of the churches that initially received the Book of Revelation, mm -hmm. so it's significant about the things that he says, you know. So when you know, and this is an actual quote from his book, which is called Against Heresies. It says that when the Antichrist shall have devastated all things in this world, he'll reign for three years and six months. That's the second half of Daniel's 70th week. And sit in the temple in Jerusalem, and then the Lord will come from heaven in the clouds, and the glory of the Father sending this man and those who follow him into the lake of fire, but bringing in for the righteous times of the kingdom. And you kind of see in his quote, you know, he encapsulates what what Jesus said and what Paul said and what we find in Revelation 19. He he captures all these things in that one quote, and it's just, it's just sort of, 
it is a confirmation of church history of all these things. And I just thought that was very significant. So I, I love the way you set that up, explaining, even before the quote, Jonathan, you explained that uh, the Apostle John uh, discipled Polycarp, mm-hmm. and uh, you mentioned that Polycarp um, discipled Irenaeus. Yes. That's fascinating to me. Uh, as we look at, wow, where did this guy get his credibility? Hello. <laughs> so, and then you mentioned a couple, three points, and then we'll, we'll, in two minutes we have to go to another break. Um, the, the quote from Irenaeus, these details about his belief regarding the desecration of a future temple. He, he was writing 110 years after the Roman general Titus destroyed the second temple. We need to just kind of take that and grasp it and just digest it for a minute. So this is over 100 years after the temple. The second temple in Jerusalem was already destroyed. So he's pointing to yet another temple desecration. Um, And he said that the Antichrist would sit in the temple in Jerusalem. And so this this is very key to understand that there were early church fathers uh, before uh, more false teachings and attacks on the truth and the Word of God were, you know, came in, that they were looking at this third temple. Uh, just one minute for your thoughts to wrap up this segment, Jonathan. Yes, that's why I included him. I just think it is very, it's very key that someone like Irenaeus, you know, 110 years after the temp- second temple was destroyed, believed that there would be a, a third temple. And it's just very key to to think that that this early in the church they believed that there would be another temple. Now, I believe that we have much more clarity today regarding prophecy than than what Irenaeus had, because as I point out, Irenaeus even thought that the the that God had rejected the Jews, but I think that we have to give them a break because these things are, were not as clear then as they are today. Yes, and you also point out uh, that it's significant that a highly respected second century theologian believed there would be a third temple in Jerusalem. And mm-hmm. we're just going through this, friends, talking about the biblical necessity of the third Jewish temple and how it relates to Bible prophecy. More with Jonathan Brentner when we come back on Stand Up for the Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest today is Jonathan Brentner, and we are laying out this. I believe it's really helpful even to me to remind myself of some of these things and how they're going to play out and the, the background we know, not only biblically, but in history. That's why I'm thankful, Jonathan, you brought out Irenaeus. And um, l- before we finish up here and talking about how evidence from Scripture uh, tells us there must be a third temple, at this time, you started writing this article before the breaking news last week of the red heifers being mm-hmm. uh, flown to Israel. So what? Uh, why did God put that on your heart to write this article now? Um, the key, my key motivation was just to try to lay out something that I think provides uh, scriptural proof that there must be a future for Israel. And the reason is my experience with so many pastors who claim that they're premillennial, but then deny that 
that there's a future for Israel. They they believe that the church has replaced Israel and that the church is the new kingdom. And it's because of this and my desire to help people in the congregations who who are being so misled to give them something firm to grasp onto to say, yes, we can see that there is a future for Israel. And that might have even been a better um subtitle for my for my next section was that is that what it leads to is that if there if there is a third temple that that's in God's prophecy then that means that that Daniel 9:27 has not been all fulfilled or Daniel 9:24 to 27 has not been all fulfilled and if there is that 70th week that means that God's purposes for the nation of Israel are not complete, and that there is going to be a 70th week in which God turns his attention back to Israel to prepare them for Jesus' second coming. Mm-hmm. And so that is my passion, to, to show people that, yes, there is a future for Israel. Mm-hmm. Don't listen to people who say that, that God is finished with Israel and that the church is the new Israel. Don't listen to them. That's right. And I think just a, a reading and a study of Romans 9 through 11, chapters 9 through 11, that'll help part of that understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Jonathan, quick question, and this is not in your article. Um, why weren't the red heifers born in Israel? Isn't that, obviously, I guess that's not a requirement, um, I guess not. I know that they've been working with with farmers or ranchers in Texas for a while, you know. And I think the requ- the main requirement is that they be without a blemish, mm-hmm. and so that is the requirement. And so there's no requirement in Scripture that says they have to be born in Israel. So, you know, I believe that's okay. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the Temple Institute, who has spent 30 years researching all these things involving the the third temple, you know, believe that they're okay, then, then yeah, I guess, you know, we just accept that. But that is a good point. Yeah. That these heifers were not born in Israel, but the Temple Institute itself is very excited about their existence. Yeah, and by the way, I hope they have an undisclosed location of where they're going to keep them, uh, because I know a lot of people would want to, you know, wreck these plans and, um, destroy this process. But anyway, um, let's continue on uh, with the, the good news. Mm-hmm. You say God's ultimate purposes for both the people of Israel and Jerusalem are still in play. It will be at the end of the 70th week that the Lord will bring in everlasting righteousness with his return to earth and the setting up of his thousand-year reign over all the nations of the world. Take it from there, Jonathan. Yes, and that means that God's purposes for for the nation of Israel, as I say, laid out in Daniel 9.24, remain unfulfilled. There remains a future for the Jewish people in the restoration of a glorious kingdom to them. And sadly, you know, when you bring out the fact, when I've brought out the fact to, to various pastors that, that there has to be a, a restoration of the glorious kingdom is, the disciples asked Jesus about in Acts one six. They well, one pastor laughed, roared with laughter when I said that, and another pastor just really excoriated me for even saying, believing that, you know, and it wow. makes me so sad. Yeah. But when you look at the fact that if there has to be a third temple, 
then Daniel's 70th week is not finished, and that means there has to be a future for the Jewish people. And I guess that's my passion. That's why I wrote the article, and, you know, I just have this passion to help believers understand that replacement theology is wrong. Oh, it does goodness. not come from Scripture. Absolutely not. So uh, let's wrap this up in, a, in, a, in less than 10 minutes here. Okay. Uh, you, tell us about a Welsh Baptist preacher named Morgan Edwards who lived in the 1700s because you quoted him. Mm-hmm. And I think I quoted him, too, because, you know, he had this idea I don't think he refers to um, to the desecration, but he had this. He believed in a pre-tribulation rapture, but for him, the tribulation was just the last three and a half years that you, after the desecration of the temple. You know, he believed that that was the time of of the tribulation. Mm-hmm. So, in, in a sense, he believed in a pre-tribulation rapture. And when Darby came along a century later, and I also like to put in the fact that that someone before John Darby believed in a pre-tribulation rapture, but that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's, no, that's an important point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And anyways, um, from what I've learned, and I didn't reference it in my article, but but I, you know, in reading John Walford, you know, he talks about the fact that initially John Darby agreed with with this Welsh pastor. Um, Morgan Edwards, and that the tribulation was just going to last for three and a half years. And then as he got, then as he began studying the differences between, um, the church in Israel, you know, when it's the 70th week, I believe, came in there too, he believed that, that no, the tribulation has to be the entire seven years because that's when God turns his attention to Israel, and the church is gone. And so, and so I just wanted to establish a flow there and, and, and give a little bit more basis for why we believe that Jesus is coming for us before um, the Antichrist inks this seven-year covenant with Israel, because he's coming for us before that time. That's when the Lord begins to put his focus on Israel and bringing him to repentance as well as judging the world for for its sins. And, and boy, I can see more and more reason why the revelation, the, the tribulation, I should say, see more and more reasons why the tribulation is so fierce when I look at the evil that's that's in our society right now. Oh my goodness, it, it's uh, unprecedented, and I don't use that word very often because it was so overused during COVID. But yeah, the the evil in our time is just off the charts. So, did you? Uh, I don't. Did you want to read the quote from Morgan Edwards? Okay, I can do yeah, that. Yeah, I think that, I think it's helpful. Okay, and this quote it says, "I say somewhat more." Because the dead saints will be raised and the living changed at Christ appearing in the air. And that's from First Thessalonians 4.17, a passage that we all know and love. Mm, yes. And this will be about three and a half years before the millennium, as we shall see hereafter. <clears throat> but he, but will he and they abide in the air all that time? No, they will ascend to paradise or <clears throat> to some, or to some one of those those many mansions in the Father's house, and disappear during the foresaid period of time. The design of this 
retreat and disappearing will be to judge the risen in the changed saints. For, for now the time is come that judgment must begin and that will be at the house of God. And what's this in 1 Peter 4.17? Mm. And of course this is the famous seat of, of Christ. I believe that's when we'll be judged not for our sins, right. but for time of rewards or loss of rewards, as, as the case may be. Yeah, so that's not, that's, the, the white throne judgment is uh, different, and saints will not be judged for our sins, as you said, mm-hmm. um, but for our works. Yeah. So, more good news, and we, we need to go to John chapter 14, Jesus' own words in verses 2 and 3. And these are so comforting, friends. So with all that's going on, and, and we do talk on this podcast a lot about culture, about the globalism that's rampant, the socialism in America, the things that are taking place that are completely opposing biblical teachings, even in some churches. It's good to go through this and remind everybody what we have to look forward to. In John fourteen two and 3, when Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive... Oh, I'm sorry. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will return and receive you unto myself. Why? Jesus said that where I am, there you may be also. Mm-hmm. That's um, an important passage of Scripture that, that starts off John chapter 14 when Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Yeah. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And we have so much to look forward to as you wrapped up the chapter. So, Jonathan Brentner, you mentioned Philippians chapter 3. Um, uh-huh. Why did you decide to bring that in at the end of your article on the third Jewish temple? Um, because that brings our focus back again. You know, it talks about, you know, where Paul begins by saying, you know, he's he's pressing on towards the prize of the upward call of God. And I know that some will disagree with me, maybe many will disagree with me, but I believe that prize of the upward call is the rapture. And then you get to, um, you know, verse 20, where he talks about the fact that, you know, that our our citizenship is in heaven, Amen. and we look forward to, and that the idea of waiting is waiting with eager anticipation. It's not just it's not just a simple waiting, but it's waiting with eager anticipation. Mm. You know, and and then it, then it, he explains our hope. You know, for we wait we wait await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. And the older I get, the more lowly my body feels. But He'll change it to be to be like His glorious body by the power of Him that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. And then you get to, to chapter 4, verse 1, where He says, Therefore, my, my, my brother, sorry, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And I like, you know, it's the, our hope, that our, knowing that our citizenship is in heaven and that Jesus is coming for us and he's going to change us and take us home to heaven so that where he is, we'll be there also. You know, and I think, and I believe that gives us the strength to stand firm. And we don't know 
how much time we have before the rapture. I'm hoping it's very soon that Jesus appears to take us home. But as we see what this world is like, mm. you know, we may we need that hope in God's in the rapture to hold on to to stand firm during this time. And it's the thing that that gives me peace. Mm. And I can't imagine, you know, knowing all the things I know about what's going on in this world without having the peace that comes from knowing that Jesus is coming for me and that mm. Jesus is sovereign and in total control of Amen. history and where everything is going. Amen, brother. And um, it's, it's fascinating that uh, chapter 4, verse 1 in Philippians really belongs at the end of chapter 3, but we need to remind ourselves that uh, when they wrote this, they did not number the verses, the chapters and verses, you know, Paul and, and the writers of the New Testament, writers of the entire Bible, they didn't number everything. They, mm-hmm. they were numbered later for convenience, for uh, organizing based on subject. But chapter 4, verse 1 really does end chapter 3. But, uh, Jonathan, this was very, to me, personally encouraging, and I hope for our listeners, I trust that it really was edifying. So, friends, Please share this podcast. It's one of those that we like to do on occasion to remind us of the hope that we have, the blessed hope. And, uh, Jonathan, we appreciate your ministry. How can we pray for you, brother? Um, probably just pray to, to stand firm against Satan's attacks mm. and, uh, and to always keep this hope before me. And, and you know, that, that I would always give glory to God for, mm. for everything that he's given to me. Amen, it, brother. Jonathan. You know, that's all. We could all ask for those prayers, but thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate just your, your humility, your, your faith, your writing, your perspective. And we will, Lord willing, talk to you again, brother. God bless. All right. On Thursday, we may also get to an updated list of U.S.-based food manufacturing plants that have been destroyed since Biden came into office. Is there any correlation? We're, they've got a list of over 100 now. Also on Thursday, we're blessed to have Compass Cares Buffalo um, CEO. His name is, where is it? James Harden. He's the CEO of Compass Care Pregnancy Services in Rochester, New York, outside of Rochester. That's where he lives. We'll talk about pro-life issues and what's happening in that community. And uh, anyway, we appreciate you guys. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.